You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom? Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> Sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. All right, so my uh, my three-year-old has come up with this really annoying but highly effective uh, technique to get his way. And for instance, I'll be trying to make him eat his dinner and I'll say, you know, eat your broccoli. And he'll tell me some days I like broccoli. Some days I don't. I'm on a don't one. So that's his way of telling me like not today. It does not apply to me. He's on a don't one. And that could be tomorrow or the next day. You don't know when he's not going to be on a don't one again. So it's really hard to negotiate with. So I'm thinking about trying to do the same thing, like going into Walmart and just being like, yeah, some days I wear masks in public. Some days I don't. Today I'm on a don't one. And to see how it's perceived by the rest of the world. <laughs> it's highly effective in my house. Well, what I like about uh, what your boy's doing, my nephew, is he's he's like subverting you by approaching you as his equal. You know, it's like, hey, we, yeah, we decide what we eat here, right? It's us. You know, we're, we're both adults here. So, uh, yeah, I like that. Just act like you're also a policymaker. Yeah. So, also today we are joined with uh, our good buddy, Tyler Bennett. Tyler, how are you doing today? Doing well. I know there's, a, once again, a lot of changes in the last week since we put out our last episode. So what do you have in mind, Tyler, that uh, particularly stuck out to you as eventful? Wow. Uh, lots happened. Um, well, for one, anyone right of the political center is now a domestic terrorist. So we got that going for us. Um, Twitter's been purging users like crazy uh, under the under the guise of, you know, we're, we're doing this because we got terms of use, blah, blah, blah. And you also have the pragmatic libertarian crowd. And I'm going to say that in quotations because basically what I, what I mean by pragmatic libertarian is people that are Democrats who think that they're edgy because they like to say taxation is theft. Those kind of people. They're like, well, they're a private company. They can do what they want. And it's like, but they're doing the government's bidding here, so... You know, and not to mention the subsidies and other things that they're in bed with the government on. So is it really still a private company? Um, you know, that and uh, I did see a, a New York Post article today 
that said one in five, Mar- it was, it sounded concerning. The headline, they made it sound concerning. They're only one in five Americans believe that Biden can unify the country, which means that the other 80% of Americans are now worried that their Sunday family dinner with Tucker Carlson playing in the background just for noise is going to get them put in a re-education camp. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, Tyler, when you talk about the uh, the tech censorship thing, and it was one of those topics for a while, the last three years, you know, it really kicked off with, uh, I think it was YouTube that first t- took down Alex Jones, and then Twitter followed 24 hours later. And that was really the first high profile uh, deplatforming that we saw, you know, it's like, so, and then everybody that was, you know, of our way of thinking was saying, hey, guys, this is a slippery slope, they're just going to start widening the the acceptable, you know, range of who it is okay to silence based on their ideas being quote unquote dangerous. And, you know, here we are a few years later where you're talking about these massive deplatformings of they're just cleaning house of these accounts. And it's like, okay, this is where we are now. And for the last few years, it's like every time you put on Dave Rubin or Ben Shapiro, they'd be talking about it. And I just got so bored with the conversation. And it was, I mean, it was being talked to death, but right now we're seeing this like exponential increase in, in their intensity in this, this banning purge. Um, so there, there are two things like, so there's two different points of view. I remember listening to Yaron Brook talk about this. Um, I think it was actually with Dave Rubin a couple of years ago, they were doing a live event back when live events were a thing. And I you know, I Yaron Brook, that. Yeah. So, so Yaron Brook was taking the kind of typical libertarian response and saying, guys, we need to, create new platforms, you know, cause that's how he talks. Um, that was English, but he's actually Israeli, but he said, you know, we need to create these new platforms and, uh, you know, compete. And, and if we're going to ask the government to come in and regulate these companies, then, you know, what is, what's the point of saying that you're a principled libertarian? If, you know, when it comes to you wanting to get something, then you're willing to compromise on it. And I definitely sympathize with that. You know, it's, it makes sense. But then the other, uh, approach. Uh, what was Barry Goldwater's like famous quote? He said, uh, "Moderation in pursuit of of justice is no virtue, and extremism in pursuit of liberty is no vice." Right. And to me, <laughs> when it comes to this tech censorship thing, and like you just mentioned, I mean, there's so many government connections that it's tough to even call them private companies. But if we're going to stick to our principles, and that you know basically cements our defeat then that's your strategy. It's like, you can, you can go to the grave and, you know, completely lose your cause and say, at least I was principled. Like what good is that at the end of the day? Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, particularly watching like, um, you know, the, the takedown of parlor that went to a whole new level where it's like, we're no longer just, you know, they, Twitter can do what they want. It's no, like all the major, um, you know, uh, tech companies can just completely stifle out a startup that's getting a bunch of steam. And, I haven't heard anyone else really draw this uh, comparison yet, but the first thing that stuck out to me is Parler is the tech equivalent of the Tucker car company. Like what happened to them is exactly what happened to Tucker in the 1940s. Like the big three got together with their cronyism with the government and they stifled out a a competitor that was going to come up and be a huge player. So um, that's watching that go down was kind of like watching history repeat itself in this uh, 21st century world. So not only did Parler go down, but they also, they, they hacked the user data and released that user data to people. Now, Parler also had a weird feature where you had to 
upload a picture of your driver's license to send direct messages to other users. So now all these users that defected from Twitter or Facebook or wherever, all their personal information is out there. It's on Reddit. It's on all these other websites. And now, so now being a dissenter and this to go, you know, kind of full circle to what I, what I said before now, not only being right of center makes you a, what the Biden administration is going to label a domestic terrorist, but also your personal information is out there so that your lefty neighbor can now report you to your employer and say that you were saying hate speech online or you're a transphobe or you're a homophobe or whatever phobe you are, xenophobe. And now they can get you fired from your job. They can alienate you from society. They can cancel your social media platform that you just wanted to get on to talk with your other conservative friends there, the precedent has been set and Alex Jones was just the head that they put on a spike to make an example. And now it's going from Alex Jones who had millions of people. I mean, despite what you think of the guy, he has a following. Every podcast that guy's on has millions of views. He was Rogan's most viewed listener or guest until I think Elon Musk. Um, And now it's flowing down. I, I mean, the people I interact with on Twitter, some of these people had like four or 5,000 followers and their accounts got nuked. They're gone. Pete Quinones, Mance Raider, gone. They Long nuked him. the show. They nuked him from Twitter and they also pulled one of his episodes from Spotify. So make no mistake, they're coming after your social media. They're coming after you for your views. They, they might even come after you at your employer. And eventually they're going to come after podcasts too. I've already seen articles saying that podcasts are the new breeding ground for extremism. And and it's this simple. I've thought about this a lot, you know, being that I've, you know, putting a lot of work and money into a podcast right now, what the potential roads ahead look like. And it's this simple. All they got to do is institute a licensure. So do you have a license to podcast and you'll get your license revoked if you're saying something that's deemed as hate speech. I mean, ham radios had licenses. So to touch on ham radios, sorry, Nick, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, So the FCC actually issued a notice for ham radio operators as just a reminder, just a, you know, a polite big government reminder that radios are not to be used to coordinate crime. (laughs) They issued, they sent out an official notice from the FCC saying, do not use ham radios to coordinate crime. Now, I, I think that after the incidents on the 6th, they're a little, uh, they're a little scared. I think they're shook because there's 75 million people out there that don't believe the election was legitimate. They, they don't, they're, they're upset. They feel marginalized. They feel excluded. And if, the executive orders that have came already from the Biden administration or any indication it's, they are the out They're They're the outcasts now. They've made it very clear. You know, you had a standing army in DC for like two weeks. I mean, granted they made them sleep in parking garages, but you know, it's a little interesting turn of events. Well, you know, that's what was when you talk about like the FCC and you look at, what happened with Alex Jones and I think it was 2018 when he was banned from YouTube and Twitter, where did he still have a safe haven? It was on terrestrial radio, which is, you know, FCC sanctioned and licensed. And 
you know, ironically, <laughs> saying this as libertarians, but ironically, the one place where free free speech is actually protected is you know FCC stuff. I mean, you obviously you can't swear or whatever, but they can't just boot you off of your station for no reason. You know, the way that YouTube or Twitter can. So it's it's a little ironic. Um, I don't know what the what the answer is, uh, but it's you know when we're looking at the giant tech monopolies and how they're at their own discretion are booting people in this coordinated fashion. And it's just so funny when people say it's a private company and it's like, okay, so Twitter and Google and you know, all these other places are working together within 24 hours. And you don't think that there's some larger, uh, what do you want to call it? Like organism that they're a part of, you know, they all independently came to these conclusions and decisions, you know, within hours of each other every single time. And you're going to act like this is a private company just doing what they think is best for the the interest of public safety. Right. No, it's just like, you know, the big three were just private companies when they smashed Tucker. You know, it doesn't matter if they were in cahoots with the government. And there's an extension of them. But, uh, yeah, it's that same logic. It's like we're just going to play by these imaginary rules that act like everyone's principle, like libertarians, when clearly they don't play by those rules. Like they they weaponize they're, government. They're Machiavellians and yeah. and. Pete Quinones has been very explicit about this, about every other political sector besides the bottom right, and I guess if you want to include them, the bottom left, even though most real libertarians don't want to include them. Um, You know, every other political sector is Machiavellians. they, They play to win, they play dirty, and they will do what it takes to acquire the power they seek, where... And especially the left. The left's even better at it than the right. The right, they're okay at it. But, I mean, the left is tremendous when it comes to Machiavellian politics. And then you have libertarians. And, you know, I joked about this in the group chat where I was like, libertarians are going to be marching all the way to the firing squad going, at least we adhered to the to the nap. At least we did that. You know, so we're the only ones that stand on our principles. And that's why we get Joe Jorgensen and you know we it's it's a it's a tremendous from a philosophical standpoint the nap you know it's great but i think ultimately when you're playing a game of machiavellian politics you're we're at an extreme disadvantage and that's why you know not to not to jump on it too much because Dave, uh, Dave Smith already touched on it in his recent episode, but you know, John, even John Brennan, former head of the CIA labeled libertarians as terrorists. Mm -hmm. That's funny because we believe in the nap yet. They're still labeling us terrorists. So where does this put us? You know, where, what, where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. You, You didn't, you didn't do anything violent and they still labeled you as a terrorist. Right. So is that an act of aggression? I mean, labeling someone dangerous. I mean, that's, I don't know. Yeah, it is It is kind of interesting when the libertarians, you know, we always want to play by the, the rules of the NAP, but um, the rest of the world doesn't acknowledge it or have principles. So it's kind of hard to fight a game like that. Right, right. It's, 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 a, very, it's a very tough battle to win. I mean, theory and logic and, and principles can get you so far, and they'll win you over some. I mean, you know, all, all of us, I think, to some extent, are we're won over by those arguments. But most people are rooted in emotional arguments or they're just ideologues. You know, they're 
Like if you look at like Joe Biden, Joe Biden's an ideologue. He believes that his political beliefs are the beliefs of everyone and he can enforce those as he needs unimpeded. And you know that he's not principled. He just, it's his religion. He could say he's a Catholic, but that dude's going to hell either way. So he's definitely not a Catholic. (laughs) And now we are on a list. Thank you, Tyler. I'm, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> the media, they went from, in, you know, in 2016, we were all Russian agents. I remember this. I remember seeing journal journalists on Twitter during the Trump Trump you know years. They're like, basically, it was like if you said anything that was like supporting Trump, you were a Russian bot. And you were this or that, and it's like, and now you fast forward to 2021, and now all of us, all of the us apparent Russian agents are now all domestic terrorists. So you know the labeling is going to continue until morale improves. Yeah, yeah well, and oh, go ahead. that's that's what's so frustrating is you know when we're talking about how the left makes the rules to the game up as they go, and if you look at any of their track record of, I mean, I don't care the last 10 years, the last 20 years, and you take whatever big narrative they were pushing and, uh, you know, story news facts and how they use like what's happening in the world to push a narrative. And then years later, sometimes it takes years to prove that they were wrong about whatever the Russia hoax or, you know, anything, Uh, you know, go back to Al Gore in the early 2000s saying that by, I think it was 2011 or 12 uh, Manhattan was going to be underwater and (laughs) none of these things ever bear out. Um, Well, you know, it's funny when he, when he had a sequel to uh, the day after tomorrow or no, sorry, that's, that's the movie, right? Yeah. No, that's the movie. What's what's that first movie called? Uh, Inconvenient truth. Yeah. He had the sequel to the inconvenient truth. And I remember watching the trailer and he's like, Everybody 10 years ago said I was crazy for saying all these things and Manhattan was going to be underwater. And as he's saying that in the promo to the new movie, they show a clip of Hurricane Sandy coming through New York City. And it's like dumping water in the monument for the World Trade Center. And you see all this water on the streets of Manhattan. And he was using that as evidence of what he was saying 10 years ago. And it's like, dude, no, you were talking about the ocean coming up and swallowing Manhattan. You were not talking about a hurricane, which is a natural occurrence. It is rare that it hits Manhattan like that, but it's not unheard of. And you're using that to vindicate yourself, you know, just so you take like, okay, there's, there's that the climate change thing. And then the Russia narrative, um, Nicholas Sandman, you know, the Covington kids, And all of these things that they are vehement about and they are planting their flag in and saying, this is why our worldview is so, so, uh, you know, correct. And then they're proven wrong, even according to the mainstream media. It's not even like one of these stories where we can't agree on sources and facts, like with the election so far. So like their own cathedral sources will say, yeah, we got this one wrong. And you go and you say, hey, remember how you were so vehement about this and then you were proven wrong? And they just, their eyes glaze over and they move on to the next subject. It's like, there's, that's yeah, a, there's could no you imagine policy. if we were wrong? Could you imagine if we were wrong? Like the war in Iraq really should have been fought. Like, hey guys, we actually found Saddam's weapons of mass destruction. Or Muammar Gaddafi really was about to genocide the people of Libya. Or any of these things. Or, you know, Assad was, you know, using mass chemical weapons. We would never hear the end of it and we'd lose credibility. But it doesn't matter how many times they're proven wrong and lose credibility. 
they change the rules to the game and they stay on top. Dude, yeah, the left, the left is controlling. They're driving the bus. We are just the anyone to the right of them. Not, I'm not saying like you know we're conservatives, but anyone to the right of AOC, we're just reactionary. Like they are dictating the conversation, and they just we're either outraged or we move the conversation a little more left each time to try to keep up with them. But they they have a master it. They control everything in culture. They control academia, Hollywood, media. Um, I mean, you can't go to your local library or your, your kids' schools without having some SJW agenda pretty blatant in front of your face. So uh, Pete Quinones and Aaron from Timeline Earth talked about that a little bit. Um, and they said that the the true goal of the Mises Caucus for the LP should not be just education. They should also get up there and just name the enemy. Name them for who they are. You know, the, the journalists, you know, corporate press, academia. Everyone you just said, Mike, like they okay. should – they should literally get up there and say, these people are not your friend. They are not here to help you. They are the enemy. They're the people that are brainwashing your kids. They're the people that are pushing your, your sons and daughters into going over to the Middle East and getting blown to bits for a pointless war over some oil or a Blackwater security contract. The, you know, they need to start getting that message out there. They basically like, like a lot of stuff, you know, you guys have had Scott Horton on. A lot of stuff Scott Horton says, get that message out there. Like, you know, we're, it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, like conservatives push to have schools opened, but it's like, you want your kids to go right back to where it all began. I mean, I had, I had teachers at least in high school that were, that were very open about their political beliefs. Not all of them. I I will say it, at least in, you know, in the small town I went to, they were most were fairly neutral, but I had a few that were, they were openly wearing Obama shirts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at at the time I was like, I was watching, you know, zeitgeist and loose change. So I guess I was kind of like, okay, (laughs) yeah, cool. Obama's the guy let's get him in, you know? And then I, you know, became a firearm owner and I was like, Oh, this guy's kind of fucked. Yeah. I remember when I changed over because Nick and I went to a private Catholic school through fifth grade. And I went into public in like sixth grade. I think, yeah, changed over. I think one of my seventh grade teachers um, was telling us about how they were dropping like BC and AD for the timeline to like uh, common era and BCE before common era, just like doing away with, which I was kind of like, even when I was like in seventh grade, I was like, but but from your measurement though, then why is it the year, you know, why is it 2004 right now? Like 2004 from what? Why is it common era? You're just, you're just erasing Christ. And what's, what is the point? So it's kind of like, right. you know, coming from a Catholic school, it's not like I was, uh, you know, an extremely religious person or anything, but it was like pretty blatant. Though. I was like, oh, so this is, this is true. This is why my parents sent me there. Cause you guys are like trying to just erase God from culture. Like that it was pretty blatant from that time I was like in seventh grade, like I said. So I kind of have always been like kind of watching that how they try to shift the discussion and, and erase history to insert their agenda. And yeah, it's just getting more and more out of control. And especially being a parent now watching my kids go through it. It's pretty hard. I mean, it's, it's a different world we live in and you know, it's, you have to accept their beliefs as fact or else you are a domestic terrorist now. Right. So not to totally transition on you, but I, I did, I did want to ask you guys this. Um, what so like our generation's very aware of this we're very kind of 
in tune with what's going on. And I, and I think that some of our parents are too, but like, what, what is this, what happens to our parents in all of this, you know, the, the Biden, the, the Marxist Bidenist agenda here, you know, like, uh, they're, they're coming after people that they deem as domestic terrorists or dissenters. They want to cancel you. And, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like what happens to our parents here? Because I, I feel that, you know, most of, at least our inner circles, parents are, are pretty grounded in principle. And, you know, I, some of them may be on social media, some not, but like, how does, how does this affect their generation? Well, you know, what's, so I was listening to, uh, to some Almond brothers the other day and, Hell yeah. you know, they were, I think, what did eat a peach come out in 1972? Was it something like I think that? It was, yes. I think it was 72, yeah, 73. Right yeah. And so, you know, the song eight wasted in time, no more. Um, mm-hmm. Greg Allman talks the, he, originally it was going to be, uh, an anti-war song and that's all it was going to be. And then his brother died in the motorcycle accident and he added, you know, a bunch of things, but the last verse he kept the same of when it was just an anti-war song. And uh, one of the lines is, you know, by and by way after many years have gone, when all the war freaks die off, leaving us alone, we'll raise our children in the peaceful way we can. It's up to you and me, brother, to try and try again. And looking back on it, it's it's sad and ironic now because the boomers, his generation, turned out to be the most draconian, uh, you know, the worst war criminals. I mean, that's maybe a stretch, not the worst war criminals, but every bit as corrupt and you know, just shitty as the generation before. And I don't know. I don't know what happens to people in our parents' generation, Gen X. You know, they seem to yeah. not fit in with the generation above or below. I mean, you could say that about any generation, but mm-hmm. it's a good question, man. I don't know. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I, I guess I was looking at this like I, you know, I, I talk with my dad quite often about this stuff and what's kind of going on, you know, and there, there is a little bit of, you know, back and forth. Like I, I would consider him more on the conservatarian spectrum. You know, he's he's definitely a little more grounded and you know, it's just a generational thing. There I think that each generation gets a little more liberal than the last. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even even most conservative millennials are a lot less conservative than their parents. So but, you know, he's he's definitely like we can talk about a lot of concepts of liberty and he can definitely relate. And, you know, and he has a lot of good points, too, that I'm like, oh, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, and then like my mom's a little bit more like your your Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, baby blood drinking Democrats <laughs> kind of, you know, and it's she just watches too much news. That's really all it comes down to. And there's there's no break in that, you know. Unless yeah. you, literally I cut the cable lines going to the house maybe one day, but, um, but yeah, like, so it, it's interesting to see, you know, and, and like I said, like my dad and I talk all the time and like both of our views have kind of evolved, but I, I'm just really curious because I think under the current what's going on and how the press is running with this, I really think that like most of our parents would generally be considered bad by the, the Biden definition of domestic terrorist. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they really would. They have dissenting opinions. Yeah. I mean, anything that's, that goes against the basically the woke SJW agenda, which is, um, <laughs> you know, pretty much everyone 20 years ago, but now it's like mainstream. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have, have kind of, you know, even ad- adopted it in their later years in life um, just because they're, you know, of left wing persuasion. But yeah, man, that's a great question. I haven't really thought too much about that, but it's it's concerning. I don't know. Like, I really, yeah. I don't know what five years from now looks like. It's been odd, you know, because I have four little kids, and you know, my wife and I have only been married for a few years, and we're starting to build a life. We just bought our house that we plan on staying in until we're empty nesters, and we're trying to talk about what we want to do, you know, with the house and the property. And then I always like get this thought where I'm like. I mean, is this stuff, I don't know what five years looks like from now. I mean, should I be putting anyone right. in my property? Should I be putting, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Right. Like it's kind of, it, it's a weird thought where I try to be like, okay, I'm just being like, you know, a little too taking this too far. I'm just blowing out of proportion. Maybe I'm a little crazy with this, but then the, the more I try not to pay attention to the stuff happening, I go back and I'm like, no, this shit is real. Like there's weird shit going on and it's going at lightning speed. It's just getting more and more, um, I mean, just I think just since the election, the COVID was one thing. And then with all the election stuff, the minute I saw the Hunter Biden story just getting blatantly suppressed, I was like, yeah. okay. So now I never, I mean, I already knew the media was corrupt, but this is like, whoa, okay. I mean, they're just going to pretend it's not happening. That, particularly that moment when Trump was on that 60 Minutes interview, which um, that's one of the coolest moments ever when he released the original footage, by the way. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that was such a baller move, like looking back. Um, but when he says to her, like, well, Joe's in the middle of a scandal right now. And she just goes, he is not. And, she's like, and he goes, it's amazing. You can look at me and say that. He goes, how, how do you, how can you just say that to me? Like he's not in the middle of a scandal. And she's like, it's, it hasn't been verified. It hasn't, it's just like these buzzwords. And it's like, geez, like this is 60 minutes. Like, man, yeah. I mean, just talking to the sitting president of the United States and we're playing this game right now. Like, I could not believe that there. Everybody put their credibility on the line. Every single big name, every single big network, and they won. It worked. I mean, the story is suppressed, and I, I, you know, it's just um, that was a really telling time. Right, I was kind of getting like really fired up about it. My wife was like, "She's like, I don't, I don't know. What do you want me to do about it? It's, I, it? I agree, it's real, but what should I do?" I was like, "I don't know. This is just uncharted territory." I was like, "This is why you know having a free press is such an important thing." Like we don't have that anymore. This is very, very dangerous territory. Yeah. 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 And I mean, this comes back to the majority of the population. I don't even know if it's a majority. I think the majority of the population is just silent and it's really, I don't know what percentage it is. Probably this, you know, correlates to the number of people that vote that actually have opinions and people that really are apolitical and just apathetic to politics. I have nothing against them. You know, I know a lot of people like that. They just, they don't pay attention. They don't care. And while I'd like them to pay attention and realize what's going on and, you know, agree with my views, it's vastly preferable to them being, you know, blue pilled people that take whatever Don Lemon or Rachel Maddow say, and taking it as gospel truth. And, you know, if, if Don Lemon and Rachel Maddow came out tomorrow and said, the sky is yellow, you know, what is it? 80 million Americans would just agree with it. It's scientific fact. You didn't hear it's, it's a scientific fact that the sky is yellow or whatever example you want to use. They just go along with it. And when it comes to what we do about it, I've talked about this before. One of my big concerns or big questions I have 
is have we hit a critical mass of people that are capable of being woken up, you know, where they just look at the system and the powers that be and go, wow, guys, this is insane. This is like, we're seeing the wizard of Oz right now. And about a quarter of us are seeing that it's just a guy behind a curtain that's pulling levers and everybody else still believes that there's this giant, you know, omniscient God that is the commander of all. And I, I mean, I don't know if, what would it take? What more? You look at the Hunter Biden, the COVID stuff, all of these things, Jeffrey Epstein, all of these stories, or you know, Iraq War, all of these things. It's like, what more do you need to realize that these people are full right. of shit and they're very terrible people? And I, if you're not woken up by now, I don't think there's much hope. Maybe like one percent of the population is still worth reaching out to. You know what it is? It's comfort. It's comfort. People are willing to put up with a lot of shit if they have a roof over their head where they can snore in peace and they can log on their Facebook and they can fight with their friends about Trump. Like, it's just comfort. It's comfort and the fact that, like, real liberty, you know, and, and I talked about this with my dad actually yesterday. Like, a lot of people don't want true freedom. Like true freedom requires a lot of accountability and a lot of hard work. Like you have to really stick to it and, and you have to work at it and you have to build networks and you have to build every, I mean, everything like true freedom doesn't get you these luxuries. And that's not to say it's not, you know, it's not like 1800s misery where you're, plowing the fields all day. Um, but I'm saying like people are so comfortable and they, they wake up to their alarm clock. They check their Facebook. They say, you, you just like Trump, you're ridiculous. Vote for Joe Biden, you know, stop listening to Fox news and move up, you know, and then they go to work, they sit in their meetings, they come home, they make dinner they go to sleep. They do it all again, but people are comfortable in that routine. And, and, you know, they, they don't, they're scared of seeing, it's a classic scared of change scenario. There's, they're scared of seeing what happens if you embraced actual liberty, if you rejected some of these systems of, and, and for lack of a better word, they're systems of oppression. They're, they really are. I mean, there you go. That's my second list of the day, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what they are. And like, so you've had generations of people that just cruise through school. They are like, all right, if I do this, I got a cushy job. I can go home. I can plow my wife, you know, and hey. call it a day, watch TV, go to bed. And, you know, so it's like, it, and, and I know this because my, my mom actually said that, like, you know, this is a good country and we have a, a good way of life and this and that. And I was like, Yes, we definitely have first world luxuries. I'm not disagreeing with you, but like unplug for a second and look at like what's going on. Like, you know, and I know us us libertarians have a tendency to be kind of doomsayers. You know, we're like, oh, this uh, this is a bubble and it's all going to blow up. But, you know, some some people, like you said, Nick, it's you're just not going to reach them with that. And just work on yourself. Keep grinding away with the people that are close to you that see what you're saying. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I I can corroborate exactly what you're saying, and I've heard this described as the status quo bias, you know, people are comfortable with the way things are, you know, however they are right now. 
because however they are right now, they're still taking their kids to soccer practice and there's food on the shelves at the grocery store and, you know, they can still log into Netflix and everything works. Right. And, you know, I, I remember going through this when I first, I would say when I first got red pilled and really started going down rabbit holes, it was shortly after I graduated high school. And like you're talking about watching loose change and all these things. And uh, I remember learning about the federal reserve and reading Ron Paul's book and the fed and what was the other thing? And then uh, learning about the Iraq war. And I remember it was a guy on Rogan's podcast. I wish I could remember who it was that really red pilled me. And it was a bitter pill to swallow because I was, you know, full blown, you know, basically programmed by the neocons. And, uh, you know, I would be evangelical about these things. I would explain to people, everybody I've met, I was just that annoying guy that was like, okay, do you know how the federal reserve system works? And do you know why we're in all these wars? Do you really think that, you know, us in Iraq is about America's freedom? And I would explain to them like the petrodollar and, and, you know, what's happening with Gaddafi and Libya and how none of this is, it's all bullshit. And, you know, the reason uh, this is all happening is because we have to make other countries trade oil and dollars because we went off the gold standard and all these things and not people that are blue pilled, but I guess that other demographic I mentioned, that kind of apathetic demographic, they would hear what I'm saying and they'd go, yeah, that, that I don't have any counter arguments to that, but maybe do things just kind of need to be that way? Like they, they're like, but shouldn't we not change that? Because like, isn't, could there be a reason that's all in place and we need it to be that way? And I'm like, what a cynical worldview, like to them. Right. You know, it's, it's not that I guess one way I've changed recently in the last year or two is instead of saying, you know, things could get really bad and they absolutely could. But the other thing is, it's not just that things could get a lot worse. It's that we're preventing them from getting so much better. You know, it's like, I don't know, yeah. sound money and, you know, war and peace, all of these things. It's like, it's not just that what we're doing is counterproductive, but it's if we stop doing it, the world could become such a better place. And if we adopted, right. like, you know, states' rights and localized government, and people just have this status quo bias where it's like whatever we're doing right now, it seems to be working. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. And to me, it's just it's a cynical worldview. Like nothing can be improved upon. Yeah, well, it's like you know is working but it's like you're it's like driving a car down the highway but you hear a noise but we're turning the radio up to pretend we're not hearing this like the suspension rattle or something that could be dangerous and leave you on the side of the road or you know cause an accident yeah or it's kind of like yeah just turn up the music we're still going 80 miles an hour you know we still got a phone take a gas just relax like stop being so worried about everything you know but you know more and more things are making noises and uh the roads are getting a little bumpier and well and, and in this instance the uh corporate press is the radio being turned up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know i feel like they're right now they're like an animal that's been backed into a corner and yes. i i think that's the reason they're accelerating so much right now it's like they're they're hurrying along the plan quicker than how they wanted to do it that's what right. that's the kind of vibe i get you know they're executing order that, 66 yeah yeah which is yeah I'm not going to admit what show I was watching to the listeners today, but order 66 is real familiar. <laughs> um, some star Wars stuff. Oh, okay. So um, I apologize to our star Wars fans. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just not uh, one to admit. Cause it's going to make me sound like a huge nerd. That's okay. We all got our own nerd stuff. I'm um, a huge nerd. But 
you know, that's, that's exactly it. I, I really think I saw a change in some people for the, what I would consider the better with 2020. I, I think that these lockdowns may have went a step too far too early. I, I think that they pushed people to the point where, you know, they're like, what the hell? Like this, you're locking me in my home for a sniffle. You know, like a lot of people were starting to be like, okay. And, you know, you saw, you even saw some, I, I've seen conservative commentators that are now like, we don't support the cops no more. Yeah. They, and, you like, know, these people are forcing us to lock ourselves in our houses. We're done with them. Yeah, and, and, you know, I saw it with. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, I'm interrupting. I thought you're done. Um, the other thing I was to say to that point, though, is that you know when people, um, what happened this year was a lot of people not this year, but 2020, a lot of people who always say like I'm not political, I don't get involved with politics, had no choice but to kind of get political and be like, where do you stand on this? These lockdowns, and do you think this is ridiculous? Do you think the government should be allowed to do this? Should they be able to go this far? And it made a lot of people kind of pick a side, and um, where they admit to being political or not, I think a lot of people found out where they stand. And you know they say you turn into the five people you hang around the most. So the guys who yeah. go to work and they hang around with five guys that are right leaning or left leaning, they probably adapted that side or the guys they meet at the bar every night or the buddies having a group text, you know, they kind of, they're asking these questions and putting this head in their head into the space that they normally wouldn't really care about. Cause usually they just care about their college football team. Um, but this year, I think a lot of people were forced to, um, and not to mention the fact that it happened to be one of the most like volatile election years in us history. So yeah, I think a lot more people became interested in politics. A lot more people became interested in economics. Um, but only time will tell how many are on, went to each side. I think that they, yeah, I think they might've jumped the gun a little bit cause they got, they got some people talking that, yeah, like you said, Mike, they, they wouldn't have gave a shit about this stuff at all. And now that now they're upset. You know, they, they haven't been able, you know, they couldn't watch their kid get born or they couldn't go to their grandma's funeral. And, you know, those things, people don't forget that. And, and now, now you're, you're going to see probably over the next two years, you're going to see the response to that. So the media, along with these state governors created the monster and now the government's going to come in to suppress it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, and um, and that's why they're they're coming down on on even stuff like like we mentioned earlier the the ham radios used for crime, um, cryptocurrency. The the new Fed chair has already said she she thinks it's used for terrorism, even though only two percent of it has been known had like known links to terrorism. So they're they're coming for it because yeah. they they created the monster. And it's it's really the it's the boomerang theory. I, I think it's uh, Foucault. Forgive me. It's he's French, and if, if I said the name wrong, I apologize. Um, but where the the imperialism, whatever strategies they use on on their colonies and territories, eventually comes home, and we're seeing that the boomerang theory is coming home. You know, all Not the counter. That- Counter insurgency that we used in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's all coming home. Not only the uh, 
the boomerang theory, but if you go back to episode one of this podcast, Matt Erickson talked about the color revolution and I'm going to butcher the details on this, but basically it's a guy who's a former, uh, you know, intelligence agent worked for, I think the CIA or maybe the department of Homeland security, some, some government agency that worked in intelligence. And he talked about, he came out with this book called the color revolution. And he basically said, here was our playbook when we wanted to topple a foreign government, uh, they'd go into like Syria or Egypt or whatever, and they would start funding these protests and they would pay people to protest on any given issue and they would whip up public support of it and they would film the protests. You know, maybe you had 300 people there, but you film them all in a really dense spot when they're acting really rowdy. And then you have the media report that it was actually 10,000 people. So you start sowing this, this dissent in the public, like people hear that, like, Hey, there's an uprising against the powers that be right now. And you eventually whip up the population to actually topple the government. It's what we saw in, you know, like we said, Libya and Syria and, uh, and Egypt and, you know, all the countries that were involved in the Arab spring. And I don't know if they gave examples of which countries these were used in, but you know, you couple that with the boomerang theory and it's, it's sort of like we're seeing that right now. It's just that right now it's kind of a hand grenade in a room and it's not really surgical because you could look at like the BLM protests and how so many of them were just so convoluted where it's like, okay, how did, how did this happen? I mean, I'm not going to jump on any conspiracy theories, but it's like you had the, uh, I think it was in, in Minnesota, like the pallets of bricks in the middle of the road. And again, I'm not going to speculate on conspiracy theories because I really don't know. But there were so many things where it's like, you know, remember even in Charlottesville, how the cops like stood by and then they forced the, you know, the radical right and the Antifa to basically funnel into each other. And it's like all of these things happen, even at the Capitol building, they they yeah. lowered the gates and let them right. in. There's so much footage so that no one talks about that. Yeah. So it's like, you have all this evidence where it's like, guys, this is really weird, you know? And then you see the media capitalize on it and then try to turn it into this giant uh, controversy when in reality, it looks like this was coordinated or at very least it was, you know, spurred on by somebody. It stayed within the, the, the blocks, like the, the velvet railings, they stayed within them. Did you watch the video? There's a there's I think it was a yeah. New York New York magazine video and he's like, Hey, what's up, guys? He's like, You doing okay? He's like, Yeah, I got shot in the face by a rubber bullet. I'll be okay though. All right, cool, man. And then he goes up on the the chamber, house chamber, and takes a picture. The guy in the Viking hat or animal hat. And it's like, that's my thing, is they called this an insurrection, but I've never seen a revolution anywhere in the world that people just took selfies on the speaker of the house's desk. Like, I'm sorry, that's not an insurrection. Yeah. And the response to this was it's the boomerang theory at work. There was what? 20,000, 25,000 troops in Washington, DC for the inauguration, which is uh, Richard Grove actually said uh, on Pete Quinones, podcast. He's that's like, five times as many troops as what was in Washington, D.C. to protect Abraham Lincoln when the Confederacy was just on the other side of the river. That's incredible. And yeah, I don't know if you have the real like that's that's an that's an a, another army waiting to take your nation's capital. Yeah, Tyler, I, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode or not, but um, I mentioned to Nick that 
um, outside of Naperville, Illinois on interstate 88, mm-hmm. there's a billboard. It's been up, um, for the last two weeks now that it like, uh, tips looking for people who were, you know, at the Capitol on January 6th, like call this hotline for tips for people that were inserting violence at the Capitol. Like it's one of the biggest towns in Illinois, like right off the highway. Like, you know, that billboard must even cost. Just, I mean, yeah. not that that's completely irrelevant to government, but it's just like that the amount of traffic count that goes by that every single day. And they're just leaving it out there for weeks. Like, go, come on, rat out your uncle. Come on, tell us, you know, there's the COVID. Yeah. Rat on your neighbor for having Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. You know, they, they that was the normalizing exercise. And this is the culmination of it. I read, I, I've seen stories of women on like Bumble and Tinder changing their political views to conservative and then only swipe it, you know, so you can edit your settings to only swipe with people that like you, you only want to see conservative men. So they swipe and they, they report all these men that were at the protest. They ask them if they were at the protest when they match and then they report them. And you know, it's we live in the upside down world. It's it, it really is. I, I like I'm almost at a loss for words. It just how how backwards things are. But I do think that the 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 white pill here is that people are starting to catch on. Yeah. Well, I just start you know try to put myself in the shoes of like a Jew in 1930s Germany and be like, what what kind of slippery slope are they watching? Where they're like, okay, this is getting a little crazy. Like, where's this going? And then also mm-hmm. it's going too fast. So there's, there's no turning around, you know, it's like, you know, obviously I'm not trying to say that's what's going on here or anything to towards conservatives, but there's definitely like they're painting them as the enemy and they're rallying organic support on the ground to like, you know, it's just illegal to be <laughs> right of AOC. Like that's basically yeah. what it is now. I mean, they want to which make is it- crazy to me because you know, everyone like talks about how like radical left AOC or Bernie is, but in reality, like Lenin hated those people. <laughs> the re- the real left hated those people. They thought they were spineless and posers. But you know, it, yeah, it's they really are. They're just painting anyone right of AOC, like you said. Yeah. You're the enemy now, and. You know, if they there's already petitions to get like uh, OAN and and Newsmax removed off off of cable lineups, and and they're going to come for that. It's it's eventually it's going to come to first. They're going to start with social media, and then when they can't silence you there, then they're going to come after a few podcasts, probably only the big names, um, and then. After that, they're going to go after the bank accounts. They'll start seizing money, and that's why they're already starting on the crypto narrative. Because what they're going, what will happen is they're going to cut off people like Alex Jones, you know, any of your prominent people like that. They're going to cut their bank accounts, cut their funding. Gun manufacturers, people in the 3D printing scene, they're going to cut their funding. So then they're going to move to Bitcoin because that's the only way that they can move money or mm-hmm. take payment. And that's why they're already starting the whole cryptos used for nefarious means narrative. They're they're just planting that seed right now. And we all know Janet. Janet Yellen's scum. She's she drinks baby's blood too. Her, Nancy, Hillary, they all do. They're I mean, it's 
That's they're, they're they're just planting the seeds so that when the people are forced to use cryptocurrency or gold or silver to move money because they can't, you know, it's like it, it's like the uh, the marijuana businesses. Since it's not federally legal, they have to hold wads of cash. You know, yeah. they're it's the same thing. They're just going to restrict these people and force them in, and now they're going to be like, see, all these terrorists use cryptocurrency. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. As I remember, like, when I first started working, I got my first job in, like, 2007. And, uh, you know, I was pretty mixed using cash and debit all the time. But then it got to the point where it's like I was carrying, you know, less and less cash on me. I remember my, my dad and my uncles always commenting, like, man, all you kids, like, you don't even carry cash on you. This is so weird. It was never like this before. And, you know, I, I didn't think much of it. I was kind of like, eh, you know, this is more convenient. But now as I get older, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, this is kind of dangerous if everything digital. Like, this is not, like... We're so vulnerable for you know a yeah. tyrannical government. Like, yeah, we don't even care that it's fiat. We just want physical fiat. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Um. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention to you guys is kind of kind of funny along these uh, lines, but I, I mean to bring it up. So I use ExpressVPN on my you know on my phone and everything. Not a sponsor, um, but um, great product though. So I set my VPN to the United Kingdom. And I didn't think anything of it until I started listening to Spotify and I'm getting ads for UK and <laughs> our next level hysterical. They're, they're like our propaganda cranked up to 11. Like yeah. it's just one, like this slow, dramatic music playing, showing a bunch of people on ventilators. And it's like, look them in the eyes and tell them you're doing all you can to not spread the disease. And it's like, do not go outside unless it's essential of business. If you go outside, people will die. And I'm just like, holy shit. It's like, it's like every 20 minutes it keeps playing when I'm listening to music. And it's just, uh, yeah, they're, they're next level. It's just like, dude, don't even go outside. You're going to kill people. But, if, yeah. You even look at your grandma, she's going to fucking die. Yeah. But yeah. Really me. yeah so, so basically that's what's going on in the old neighborhood. I like to check in with them every now and then. I really think I I want there to be a scientific study done on this, but I think the theory that actually our dad, as far as I know, it was his original theory that all of the people who stayed in Europe and didn't immigrate to the U S in the, you know, 20th and 19th century, that's a recessive gene for people who didn't want freedom, you know? So So it's like everybody that wanted freedom, those genes spread to the U S and then all of the recessive pussy genes stayed in Europe. And I think that's actually scientific, you know, it and is. now we've, we've adopted that recessive gene, at least for 90% of the population, but it is what it is. There's also, uh, they, they've done studies like personality tests and stuff. And like people with, uh, roots in the West out in the American West have like, they've studied their personalities and have noticed more like a more cavalier attitude a more like a willingness to take risks and stuff, you know, people that they're, they could trace their ancestors back to the ones that moved out West that mm-hmm. like settled out there. Same concept. Yeah. I mean, could they explain why well big cities are so blue too? Cause like those kind of people attract towards that. Like the government will take care of us. They have the guns. We like, they don't mind having weapons bans and stuff. And they feel like they're more highfalutin and educated because they're, they're living in this like cultured, more European lifestyle. Um, yeah. And then you go to, you know, rural Montana and like, you know, it's like illegal to not have a gun on you pretty much. Yeah. Well, and you see that, um, you know, I think was it malice talked about that on Dave Smith's episode about how he had a friend in Wyoming 
and the guy started yelling at his friend for wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't do that, and, and you know, you, you see it like in, in the heartland of the U S you know, I, I've moved around a few different areas in the, in the Midwest now. And, and you see it like this, it's, it's not that they're disobedient just for shits and grins. It's just, they got better shit to do. They don't care. Yeah. And Nick, back to uh, our dad's point about the recessive gene thing. The one I, I think I kind of look at that, um, that's, has a lot of uh, validity to that is if you look at just go back to primitive caveman days, like there's no medical for all people or, or $15 minimum wage people. Like anyone that has that kind of mind, mindset, you're dead. You're not going to survive. Like if you're just feeling entitled to someone else bringing home like a, a freaking wildebeest or whatever they're eating back then, like you had to go out and hunt and gather and build shelter and procreate and attract a woman. Like you could not just go, that guy caught too many animals today. Oh, he figured out how to farm them and breed them so he doesn't have to go out and work. Like, that's not fair. Like, you know, it's like, no, you you either you go and work or you die. But since yeah. we have so much excess from, you know, this from the capitalist system, like there's so much excess luxury to uh, a higher level than ever recorded in, in the history of mankind by far. It breeds a lot of people who would not be able to make it on their own. And that's, you know, the people that, that want their college paid off and everything, want their bad decisions insured by the people around them. Yeah, and I think what you're actually describing is Bernie Sanders getting kicked out of his hippie socialist commune in the, uh, I think it was the 70s. I mean, I, I want to refresh my memory on that, but I remember uh, reading the article that. that he was kicked out of a hippie commune for being too lazy. Wait, like, so much- <laughs> this and, is you know, uh, Tim Pool is talking about this in uh, Occupy Wall Street in, I think, 2011 or whatever year it was. Uh, there was some wealthy donor that owned all this like rural farmland and he donated it to all these people at Occupy. And he said, if you guys want to secede from the banking system and everything, uh, you know, take my land and, you know, build your own community. And it, Tim pool, like knew these people at the time. Cause he was at Occupy wall street, like reporting on it. And he said, all these people went, I think it was a few hundred and they were working on the land and they're like, yeah, this is going to be great. It's going to be the best thing ever. And, uh, he got in contact with one of the people that he knew that went to the farm and he goes, he goes, Oh, so he's like, you're back. Like what happened? How was it? And they go, dude, that is not living. You wake up at 5.00 AM and you start working and you don't stop working until like nine o'clock and you go to bed and you just, you wake up and you work again. You got to milk the cows and all this stuff. And he's like, Oh, so it's like, so they had this fantasy that they could just like succeed and be self-sufficient. And then they realized like really quickly, like, they, and they said a bunch of people like didn't pull their weight and that was the biggest thing. And it's like, Oh, when you get things down to just their most simplistic form, you see things so clearly. Trust me. I've was- tried, I've tried living with buddies. I've tried working in a family business. That shit happens at all scales and everywhere in life. People don't yep. pull their weight and it's infuriating. Um, but yeah, socialists apparently have not experimented enough, but so anyways, before I lose my train of thought, so we've previously said that, um, you know, uh, Joe Biden's like the Led Zeppelin of politics because he bases his entire career on plagiarism, gives horrible life performances and uh, lots of rumors about little girls. But um, I mean, <laughs> <say, laughs> um, uh, so I wanted to say Bernie Sanders is like the Ozzy Osbourne of politics since, you know, he got kicked out of a hippie commune for being too much of a deadbeat commie. And Ozzy got kicked out of Black Sabbath for doing too many drugs. I think like those are just equivalent. And they're probably the same age too. 
Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, there's a good chance, yeah. So, but I'm more of an Ozzy guy than a Bernie guy, if I had to choose. Yeah, but I'm telling you, Lennon would have hated Bernie. He'd so, now, a- you've been reading Lennon lately. What? Why exactly, uh, what do you say about people like them? So, he, he basically... He he considered like dem- democratic socialists as they they were they're just like woke bougie progs like they're they like the philosophy they like to talk about it but they don't like they took the spine out of the workers revolution so they basically further the they they kept the powers that be in place even if it's just a a nicer face behind it. They didn't actually want to go through with the revolution. They didn't have the stomach for it. They, you know, they sided with holding state power versus, you know, um, the workers. They didn't actually want to return power to the workers. Like, you know, it was like the, it's, they were like the classical virtue signalers Mm. in his eyes. Um, Because actually the, you know, I haven't finished state and revolution yet. Um, I've been kind of reading little bits here or there. I've been kind of slacking on the reading lately. But uh, he, he basically, the one thing that I found very fascinating about Lenin's writings and his interpretation of Engels and Marx's work is that they, they viewed the state to a certain extent similar to how like an anarcho-capitalist would. The only difference is, is that they wanted to give the power to the workers overthrow the state and then they wanted to dissolve the state. But as we know from historical lessons, communism never got to the dissolve the state part. No, that was where they, they always dropped the ball at that part. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what's so inherently like at face value to me, why socialism and, and communism never work is that, well, essentially you need producers that create value and, and, you know, produce goods and services and then, you know, you need like the state to tax the labor and everything. So it's like, but at a certain point, you know, if everybody becomes government workers, well, now this is kind of a hard way to say it, but it's very fitting. It's like a parasitic draw, like you're a parasite. If the parasite becomes larger than the host, then then the whole being dies. Like you can't have more people taking than making. Like it, I, I don't understand how everyone gets past that initial thought experiment like how many people can just you know get payments without producing mm-hmm. right it, without yeah. pricing you can't scale your economy well what so, was it i think in uh and and was it the russian revolution they killed all the most all the richest farmers because they were you know the bourgeoisie and uh and then you know once you kill the top one percent then you have to come up after the new top one percent and then eventually they killed everybody that knew how to farm and how to, you know, operate large scale farms. And then they had a famine because they killed all the farmers, you know? So it's the same, the same idea. You could apply it to any industry. And it, uh, yeah, as far as the workers taking over, it's like, and this is no slam, like we need workers, but there's a reason that they're the workers and not the CEOs and entrepreneurs. You know, it's just, that's just the nature of reality. Some people are born with different capacities. And uh, I think it was uh, Solzhenitsyn that said, you know, if people, if men are free, they are not equal. And if they're equal, they're not free. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. It's not, it's not a political ideology. It's not a political belief. 
it's just the nature of reality and that's it. And you're seeing that at play right now with this, this movement, there's a difference between equality and equity. Right. And they keep saying the word equity and equity is a very dangerous concept. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's equality means, you know, you get the opportunities, you get a equal opportunities, but equity means that we're going to edit, we're going to move the goalpost to suit whatever needs or movement we want to support or push, you know, whichever direction we want to go. And I think that's extremely dangerous. For I, sure. Yeah. And, and, it's and like- they, they, you know, now you're going to have little, little kids of different genders and sexes going to the same bathroom and playing the same sports as girls. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you guys think we're a little past an hour there. Um, but yeah, any, any plugs you want to give Tyler? Uh, just the old Twitter account. You can check me out at at Schlitz underscore beer. Um, <laughs> occasionally it'll get a hot take. Sometimes it'll be some, some songs or something, you know, it depends on my mood for the day. Tyler's still waiting on the season desist from Schlitz, but yeah. you know, if they're released well, again. Um, but yeah, you guys can uh, also follow us at to underscore Pauls on Twitter. Um, and please, uh, if you like the show, head over to iTunes and leave us a uh, rating and review and let us know what you think. So thank you. <laughs>